They say what you put into something is what you take out of it. And it's true. To me, nothing is more interesting than what a critic brings into a movie. Do they like the director or cast? Are they plugged into the buzz? What do they think of the trailers? The point of this podcast, then, is to give listeners a chance to hear from a top film critic, both before and after they've seen a film, and to see how people's expectations shape their opinion of a movie itself. My name is Matthew Modigal, and welcome to After the Credits. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of After the Credits. I am joined once more by a very familiar face. Some might say too familiar a face. Our very own Rob Hunter is here this week to talk about Deadpool 2. Rob, tell our listeners a bit about yourself, type of writing you do, where you write for. I'm here to talk about Deadpool 2. I write about the movies. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess uh, Film School Rejects, I should probably mention them, is the main site I write for. Also, you can occasionally find me, and by occasionally I mean every week over at Slash Film as well. Yeah. And then, of course, on Twitter, I write a lot on there as well. Yes. I think you might be best known for your performative art, such as uh, trolling Tammy Lauren <laughs> or, you know, like variations of that. It really it's a dedicated craft you have. And entertainment is where you find it. Correct. So. Yeah, weren't you today, not to go on a tangent, but weren't you today sort of like singled out by Twitter with like a be nice push notification? I, I, that's what I was asking because I don't know if I was singled out. But I, yeah, I got like a push note notification saying uh, as a reminder, you know, <laughs> you can lose your account. It, it wasn't addressed to me. It just, it just showed up in my feed. And so and it just said they gave me like an option to like, you know, learn more or to say, OK, I got it. Um and I, I just closed it. <laughs> but um, So that's why I asked if anybody else had maybe gotten one too. But I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe the new thing is that if, if they start getting complaints about someone, they warn them first. But I'm not really being warned. I don't, I don't, so I don't know what I'm being warned about. So it's kind of ineffective if that's what it is. So who knows? So you should follow Rob Hunter on Twitter for the next 20, 30 minutes <laughs> while he still has a Twitter account. Um, by the time this I, goes I, live, he might not have one. So. I feel pretty confident that nothing I say is truly, truly abusive or, um, you know, not bullying or any of that. And the, and the people that get the worst of me are the ones who enter into my feed to give me shit in the first place. So, you know, and you know, what are you gonna do? I can't think of a better way to set up a movie like Deadpool 2 than with a good couple <laughs> of minutes of navel gazing bullshit. So we're already we're good. We're good. We're, we're in prime prime position here to talk about this film. So. Let's uh let's not let's not give your about to be deleted account any extra attention. Rob, let's talk about Dead the original Deadpool. You've seen it, were you a fan? Yes, I love it. I I've I've seen it a few times. Um I haven't rewatched it yet. I'm going to do so again tonight before seeing the sequel tomorrow. Um so it's been a while since I've seen it, but I I've since it premiered uh back in 2016, I've seen it probably about three times. And I love it. I, I think it's I, I, I will preface this by saying that I've got no familiarity with the character before this. Uh, I'm not a comics guy, so I don't know. I didn't know anything about him going into it, really. Um, I knew that he had briefly appeared in an X-Men movie, but it was a completely different version or take on him. I don't know. Um, and that's like the, was the extent of my knowledge. So going into this movie, um, as someone who was watching every other superhero movie and comic book movie, it was a uh, I don't know if refreshing is the right word, but it was it was definitely a change of pace. Um, I think that the humor, there's so much of it thrown at the screen <clears throat> that even though, you know, not all of it lands, enough of it does that because there's so much hitting, hitting you, it's, I mean, it, it's a very funny movie. Um, the action, I know that that gets a lot of uh, 
criticism from people and I can see that because it feels like a small movie. Um, and by small, I mean kind of a, uh, not cheap, but you know, inexpensive movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's, it's evident in there, but I think it works again as someone who coming into this with no idea of these characters, um, uh, it, it totally worked for me. And I think that Reynolds stick, which isn't always a good thing. Uh, see Van Wilder as an example, um, here, him being completely on all the time, it, it was wholly effective. And I, you know, continue to think that it's a very, very fun movie. Yeah, I'm with you for for a lot of that. You know, I I think you're right. I think Reynolds' shtick does get a little old, and I think that there are times where, you know, you, you think of him as the as the Van Wilder character or the Blade Three character. You know, those are the the guy that can't stop running his mouth. So obviously, it's a perfect marriage of subject and and performer here. But it was it's it's interesting. You know, you cover. You know, you don't write about it as much probably as others do, but you you are aware of like the rumor mill. We all knew that this was something that was in gestation for years and years and years and years at the studio. Um, there's a whole compelling narrative and arc about how the movie got made with leaked footage, uh, a leaked VFX rule reel that they'd put together. So like it was sort of this perfect combination of like we were starting to hit a fatigue point with superhero films. We were starting to look for you know wanting movies that were going to iterate a little bit on that format we also had a, a narrative a backstory that we really liked and a performer who was just a little bit washed up in a way that made it kind of work and all these pieces came together and made it a really really easy movie to root for uh, and it does it has the joke density of something like a naked gun movie which i think is what makes it so easy to like is just if you don't like the joke stick around there'll be another one in just a minute yeah, and it's the irreverence about it. I think works too because I mean it's it's one thing to just kind of like push buttons, but it's um, or like something like a, like a South Park where it's like going out of its way to offend with this button pushing. Here it's a matter of it's just it's got like a giant you know wall filled with buttons, and it's just doing like a Looney Tunes bit where he's just like slapping every everything. Um, and so again, there's so much happening. You know, whether it be the actual jokes, whether it be the visual gags, um, the violence obviously is is over the top. Um, that plays into obviously his character because he's able to regenerate and all that. So I mean, they can do just you know horribly abusive things that are played for laughs. Um, you don't have the <clears throat> the heavy um, cost of violence in this movie. Um, you know, when you can argue, I guess whether that's a good or a bad thing, but in, in this context, it, it works beautifully to just be like a fun again live action Looney Tune. Um, that just delivers entertainment for its what hundred minute runtime uh, doesn't take itself seriously. You can tell that even it knows it's an underdog and it's kind of struggling to get this out there and says, "Hey, this is what we want to do. We're just going to go for it and do it," um, and it succeeded. So let's let's take that then and let's kind of look at the the upcoming movie in that context because mm-hmm. it's it's that's the double yeah. that's the double edged sword of Deadpool too yeah. is what made the first one so refreshing was that underdog thing clearly it's that's gone they've spent more money on advertising you know for those people that stumbled upon Deadpool in theaters that's not going to happen this time out because they've slapped their logo and slapped Ryan Reynolds on so many different things they've made meta commercials where they're joking about the fact that it is indeed a commercial but at the same time, they, they reissued other movies, yeah. with slipcover sleeves of was putting Deadpool into that poster art, into that cover art. I mean, it's they have nothing to do with comic books or comedies or Deadpool or anything. Um, you just go to Walmart and, and uh, Target, and you'll you'll see them all over the place. It's 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 kind of ridiculous. But the flip side of that, of course, is that they have you know a very talented director now in David Leach. 
They have uh, a couple of names that were much bigger than anything they had access to the first time around. People like Josh Brolin. Um, I would argue people like Rob Delaney. I don't know that that's a household name for everybody, though it should be. You know, they've brought in another, um, you know, a really strong, a second, I guess, really strong female lead in Zazie Beetz. You know, these are the, the scope and, and the increase in budget from one to two could go one of two ways. It could be more polished. It could be more fun. It could continue to maintain its irreverence even once it crosses the $100 million marker. Or it could lose kind of that like magical combination of things that made the first one so successful. So take a stab at it, Rob. Like, what are what do you think? Like, is bigger better for Deadpool 2? Um. Well, that, that's the concern. I mean, like, like you just said, I mean, it's because it's one thing to say, you know what, we're, we're taking a crapshoot here. It's uh, we're just going to like have fun. This is basically for us and for the fans. And that's, that's the end of it. And boom, here it is. It's another thing to say, Hey, people loved it. It was huge. Now we're going to intentionally try and do that as opposed to just naturally, you know, the first movie being what they made. Um, I am a huge uh, fan of this director. I mean, and, and I think if nothing else, he should address people's action concerns. Uh, the, the dude's got chops there that really can't be argued with. Um, I agree that the the new cast members <clears throat> um, are bringing something fresh and something exciting to it. And I think that that in and of itself is maybe the step that's necessary. Whereas we're still going to get the usual, I say usual, I mean, we've seen it once, but we're still going to get the, the, you know, the expected Deadpool gags and jokes and his character is going to be the same. But bringing in this fresh blood might be enough to kind of like, you know, uh, make it feel new all over again. Uh, I, I'm a huge Brillin fan. I think that he does uh, kind of gritty jerks really well and playing a, a villain, a comic book villain is, is ideal, um, especially now that we get to see him in action as opposed to just hear his voice. <clears throat> mm. um, <laughs> so I, I'm cautiously optimistic is what I'm going to say. I haven't been watching or, you know, checking out multiple trailers, so I haven't, hopefully I haven't ruined, you know, any kind of gags or additional scenes. Um, I just know that the first movie I love, I think it's great, and I would love to see more with these characters. So knowing that they're all back and knowing that there's more money behind it to create better action, you know, better effects possibly, whatever, to me is a plus. So the only concern really is what we just said, which is that maybe at this point they're going to try too hard to replicate the first movie as opposed to again going out there and just having a shitload of fun now you mentioned um kind of the fact that david leach is a director that nobody can argue with talk about him a little bit because i i agree like everybody just sort of treats it as a fact because it is a fact that david leach is a good director when it comes to violence on screen but you know on the flip side we this is a guy that really only has a movie and a half to his credit you know he was sort of the silent co-director on the original John Wick and he also directed Atomic Blonde now obviously he's going on to much bigger and better things but what is it about Leach as a director that immediately made genre fans in particular just like glom onto this guy and be like this dude is legit and we can't wait to make him make as many movies as possible well I think that I mean the the obvious thing is that his his career the majority of his career has been spent in the stunt field um, on, on just multiple films, going back to The Matrix, I mean, just like tons and tons of movies where he's gone from stunt performer to uh, you know stunt coordinator to assistant director, second unit director. So he's been kind of integral to a lot of these movies that we, we know and love and their action scenes. He, we don't, people don't really think about it a lot, but on a lot, of, especially on these big movies, the name director isn't always the one 
and is rarely the one actually doing filming the you know the individual uh, action scenes. We're like we're like a, you know the actual star isn't on screen kind of thing. Um, it's usually that kind of stuff is oftentimes handed over to second unit directors. Not always, but often um, because they're the ones that are more familiar with action and kinetics and stunts and all that kind of stuff. And so they shoot it. Then the, the name director then approves it, and that's you know where you go from there. And so he spent a lot of time on a lot of movies doing that kind of stuff. And I think that his understanding, his innate understanding of, of stunt work, of what can be accomplished, of how it can be made to look a certain way, um, I think it just, you know, it just blossoms, you know, ideally beautifully into making his own action movies. And for John Wick, I mean, again, I mean, everyone who's seen that just knows it's just a terrific movie. And, you know, as far as how much he directed and the other guy did, um, is that for debate, whatever, either way, he was still a part of it and the action scenes and even just the non-action scenes. I mean, it just, it all flows beautifully. Um, his one solo effort, Atomic Blonde, you can have issue with that movie, but I think that the, any issue you would have would be on the script side of it. On the direction side, again, I think that he integrates the action sequences into you know the dramatic beats just super super well i mean the shift from one to the other is is you know seamless um you you don't feel it's a matter of like okay dialogue 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 you know action beat it just instead feels like it's just like one big world that he's he's crafted um and i think again even his, even the non-action beats i think work really well for him i think that he's got an eye for and it's, it's visible in john wick as well he's got an eye for the visuals, um, and they're often at the time, obviously, obviously uh, action oriented. But he's got an eye for what you know the camera is picking up, what the camera is seeing, um, and so going in and out of action, or even in the action scene itself, they're never less than uh, exciting. They're often beautiful. Um, these sequences, and I think that that's a huge, huge plus when you're making an action movie. You know, could he turn around and make you know a, a romantic comedy? Who knows? But I mean, as in with a movie where action is the core of it, which Deadpool, you know, Deadpool two is the action is going to be the mainstay of it, the main part of it. Um, I don't think you can do any better than to have a director like this in charge. Yeah, I always think of sort of the stunt choreographers in the action realm as the equivalent of maybe like the the VFX guys in horror. You know, everybody knows okay. everybody knows their favorite guy that got the start in makeup or in, in prosthetics or just like general visual effects, and so. You know, I think to me, somebody like Leach is always like the genres, the genre fans director in the same way that, yeah, I mean, you can choose anybody you want, but like any of the big names in, in the horror genre that's got their start doing visual effects, like those are the people, those are the, the genre fans version of filmmakers. Well, you have something like, yeah, I mean, to that, to that point, you have something like John Carpenter's The Thing. It's like, you know, through and through John Carpenter's movie, but if you remove Rob Bottin's visual, you know, practical effects... I'm sure it would still be a good movie, but I mean, you, yeah, it's a huge part of it. It's a huge part of what people remember, but it's still, at the end of the day, John Carpenter's the thing. But these people play an integral role, and so taking those talents and those skills, you know, to, to the to the bigger picture, um, is is I mean, Stan Winston is another example. He he was an effects guy. He actually went on to directing. I don't think he did. He did Pumpkinhead. I don't know if he did anything else or not, um, but Pumpkinhead is a terrific little, you know, low budget but terrific little creature feature because he knows um, visual effects and he knows how to take full advantage of it. And so, crafting a simple, you know, supernatural revenge story around it um, is it, the movie comes out and it's terrific. So these people have this extra, like I said, this extra awareness that regular film directors don't always have. And so it's it's never a bad thing, I think, to put them. Uh, in charge of bigger, you know, better scenes. This is why I like having you on the podcast, Rob, because we're talking about one of the biggest movies of the summer. And then like totally logically and organically. Now we're talking about Pumpkinhead. <laughs> that is, that is my favorite type of tangent. 
All right, so we've got yeah. we've got Deadpool two direction. We're gonna check that box. It's totally fine. The script, you know, like are they gonna be able to keep the humor up? If you like Ryan Reynolds, you're probably the answer. That's probably yes. I assume that based on some of the creative differences they had between films, there's gonna be a lot more of his input in this, which means things are gonna be a little bit more, even more lippy, if that was possible. A, yeah. A little bit of him goes a long way, but the again, it's all about joke density. A nice mix of visual gags along with that's the other thing too. They they bumped this one up to like just about two hours yeah. in running time, which is is is. I, when I went to rewatch, when I went to get ready to rewatch the original, I, I was happy to see it was like a hundred minutes. Um, so it's it seems to be the new thing where I see superhero movies have got to be two hours or longer. So you know we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I mean I have some mis- a little bit of misgivings about the running time on that. Um, that's a long time to spend with this particular tone, but you know yeah. we'll see. Um, but yeah, you know what? What uh, you mentioned that you really like the actor. I do too. Um, let's just let's wax a little bit poetic about Josh Brolin because he's having a hell of a year. Um, he's going to continue yeah. to have a hell of a year when um, the second Soldado or um, whatever movie comes out. I can never remember which. Fuck the haters. I'm looking forward to that. I can't remember what name they landed on. Um, Silencio Two, Soldado, whatever it is. Um, yeah, it looks good. He looks good. You're absolutely right. You called him somebody that plays like gritty. Um, gritty assholes well and he's at this perfect age in his career about like a seven or ten year window where he gets to play this type of character who can still do the things that a leading man does but is no longer a leading man so what, what are you looking for from Brolin? Well first off I, I, I want to say real quick that I think that they missed a golden opportunity they should have cast uh, Hugh Jackman as Cable I think that would have the, the fans would have hated it well at the same time loving it <clears throat> but that said um, I, I just think that like I said is his his assholes that he, he portrays even in even in uh, Sicario um, uh, they're jerks they're, they're they're bad guys you 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 have good reason to dislike them but he plays them with such um, I don't know if charm is the right word but it, it, just a little smile he to- he throws in there I mean he's got a little bit of an attitude that you know this person's bad. You know you shouldn't trust them, but damn it, you want them to continue, you know, going on here. And I think bringing that into this kind of universe um, would be a good foil for Deadpool. Because if you go back to the first movie, the people he was fighting, the characters he was fighting, were so humorless. Um, I mean, in part of it was maybe maybe the performers, but it's for the most part is the script and is these characters that he was taking on. They just had no personality or charisma about them um it was i forget their, even what their names were but they were just so kind of bland and so the idea of getting a super charismatic villain to face off against you know this incredibly charismatic hero is an interesting uh choice that i'm looking forward to seeing how it kind of unfolds yeah i think the best the the most charismatic thing that ronda rousey does in the whole film is they dub her at one point as sort of like <laughs> a meta joke about steven soderbergh films so that's that's about the 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 depth of humor that the, the bad guys offered in that movie, and, yeah. And you know, I I will say this too about Roland. For as many great movies as he's been in, I'll always think of him as the only good thing in Planet Terror. Um, so, <laughs> just, just, I, I will I will defend Planet Terror a little bit more than that, but I, I wouldn't argue that he's the best thing in it. Yeah, him and him and maybe a little bit of Michael Bean. I'll put there. So we've got we've got two dynamo dynamite leads. Um, I have to admit I'm not super familiar with Zazie uh, Betts's career. Have you seen any of Atlanta? Have you watched the show? Are you familiar I, with her I work? Have not. Okay. I have not. So she is she is something that or she is a performer that we know is going to do well because we're both we we've heard good buzz about her but we don't really know one way or the other yet. 
Um, anybody yeah, in the, and, go ahead. In the initial trailer that I did watch, I mean, I, she, she's kind of like revealed in that and it's, it's, I mean, we'll see how it plays out in the movie itself, but in the trailer, it is, is very much a kind of, uh, uh, a, a big moment. You, you can't help, but kind of like, you know, uh, take notice of her. And so I think that, and part of it is performance, obviously, but part of it is also the, you know, the, the costuming and all that kind of stuff. So I think she definitely has screen presence, even in the brief, you know, trailer form. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out in the whole movie. Yeah. And I'm not a, I'm not a huge comic book books guy either, but I do every now and then, um, if somebody's offering one of those free Marvel unlimited subscriptions, you know, I'll go through and read some stuff. So Domino's character is, is basically, and, uh, sorry if you've, if you've been trying to avoid anything about it, but her, her mutant ability is to control probability. She's very lucky. Things happen to her. She has good luck and circumstances conspire to make sure that she always comes up, you know, on all four feet. That's pretty stupid. But that's the thing. They make the trailer that you haven't watched. They make fun of that. Um, Okay. That literally Deadpool says that's a stupid power. Um, Okay, good. (laughs) So, but it's it the ways the ways that they can play with that. I think there's a lot of opportunities to have a lot of fun with that as a superpower too. So yeah, and I expect a lot of them to end up. uh, you know, be, being self-deprecating on him, like like things happening to him instead, and so I can definitely see that working out to you know, bring more humor and carnage to his body. Are you familiar at all with the Church of Peter, Rob Delaney's character in this one? Not at all. Okay. I didn't after that first trailer when he showed up at the end. I, I didn't even know it was Rob Delaney okay. until someone mentioned it on Twitter, and I was like, "Holy shit!" So no, I don't, I don't know what that is or who that is. I mean, I just he's yeah. he's not a he's not a character of any note. He's just a guy I think they made for the movie, but. Um, just the the promise that we have just sort of an everyman traveling with this group of characters to me that's i mean that's a pretty great idea for a superhero film is just to have like a stand-in guy who just does a nine to five and then goes and fights evil forces on the weekends with no particular skills <laughs> I, the joke has been praised so much on social media that you know like we get it it's funny but it really it really is that funny and rob delaney's sort of cheerful buffoonery is the absolute right character to have in that role. Yeah, I completely agree. Like so once I realized it was him, I mean, he, he's someone who, I, who I've loved and everything else I've seen him in. And so it's something that, you know, hopefully goes well beyond, you know, the, the one note joke. And I think it probably will with him behind it. So let me, um, let me ask it since you haven't been on the podcast a little bit, um, you know, one thing that I try and ask my guests now kind of uh, uh, as, as a precursor in the part one section is sort of the best case and worst case scenarios for the movie. So before we go into like the review portion, let me ask you this, you know, what do you think looks like um, success for you? What what has you walking out of this movie in, in line with some of the other reviews that I've seen saying that this is even bigger and better than the first one and like just the beginning or the second step in a huge cinematic universe you always want to visit? Like what makes Deadpool 2 an improvement on the first one? Um, I mean, if it, if it maintains the same ratio of, of I mean, I expect it's, I expect I'm not going to, you know, dig every joke it throws at me. And that's and that's, again, fine, as long as um, it keeps trying and enough of them land. So hopefully that ratio stays the same where I'm loving more than I'm not as far as the humor goes. Um, character wise, I think that I mean, it's we've already seen him go through his arc and, and his creation in the first movie. So. Um, I think this time around, odds are we're going to have to see that from somebody else because I don't know. I mean, he's not going to be able to change. And so we're going to have to see that from somebody else. So hopefully it's just as engaging because, I mean, you know, knock it as, as, as much as some people might want to. But the the first movie, it found some real uh, emotion, I think, in the scenes where he, you know, discovers he's diagnosed with cancer and all that. I think that his creation into that character, it found drama um, in between the punchlines <clears throat> and the dick jokes and the, you know, the fourth wall breaking and all that kind of jazz. 
So hopefully this film doesn't kind of forego that and instead finds its, its own drama someplace else. Um, and as far as those things that I want, the flip side of that is I will not be pleased if they kill off uh, Marina Baccarin, or if I might be mispronouncing that, but his girlfriend, the character playing, the actress playing his girlfriend, if they kill her off for some kind of cheap dramatic bit, then um, I'm going to automatically give it an F. Do you think there's a chance, first of all, I think that's probably going to happen, just, you know, emotionally prepare yourself for that because that sort of seems like the, the kind of thing this movie would do. Do you think there's a chance that it gets a little too bogged down in taking shots at other superhero movies, especially riding the heels of Avengers Infinity War? That's entirely possible. And I think that one of the things, too, is that because he's going to be um, you know, wearing his mask for, for what half the movie, probably, the advantage there for them is that they could be editing you know, dialogue ADRing stuff in up until like a week before it releases um, because you can't see his mouth moving anyway. So what does it matter? And so they could be making little shots at, at uh, whatever they want to and changing jokes up at the last minute. And that might include um, tossing in more, you know, cause I'm sure they're going through like multiple jokes, multiple gags um, and then having to pick the best one. And so that's entirely possible. As long as it stays though on track with its own story, its own characters and saves that kind of thing for the uh, quick asides here and there. I don't mind. Like like last time when you know the, the jokes he made at the uh, expense of whether it be Wolverine or uh, the X Men, um, they're there. It kind of reminds you that this is a kind of a shared world, even as again he's breaking the fourth wall with some of the jokes. But it wasn't. It never kind of like uh, it never it never overcame what we were actually there for. We you know, the main action, the main comedy, the main characters. So as long as they can maintain the same thing here, I think it'll be fine. All right. Well, then time for your bold prediction, or I guess your practical prediction. What do you think Deadpool two is going to be on a scale of one to five? Um, when it's all said and done? Um, well, on using that scale, I would put the first movie probably at a four for what it is. Um, so my hope is that this one will come out again as a four. I'm worried about the extra length. I'm worried about the uh, over, overconfidence. But if it can maintain the things that worked, um, make me laugh, make me love the action beats, uh, You know, give me new characters to be super engaged with, then... Uh, I'm hoping for a four. Realistically, knowing how like bigger, better, you know, quote unquote sequels typically end up being, uh, it would probably be a three. So, three point five will be my prediction. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with your optimistic standpoint. I'm gonna say I'm, I'm gonna go into this thinking maybe a four, and it's not a four because I think that that the Deadpool movies are so you know fantastically brilliant that they are you know resetting trends within the broader superhero cinema landscape but i just i think that that the deadpool films as or at least the first one and it feels like there's been a dozen that we keep referring to it you said earlier <laughs> like you know these movies always I, we just we've talked it to death so much in the past two years that like it feels like they've just dominated the the last movie dominated the landscape but having said all that um you know, I think there's that Deadpool might be the closest thing we ever have to really cheesy 80s action movies put out by mainstream mm-hmm. Hollywood. And I don't think that I can ever be too upset about that. I don't think I can ever dislike a movie entirely that basically just, you know, sucks the marrow from the bones of 1980s bad VHS or straight to VHS or good straight to VHS movies that are like action and like maybe even a little whore tinged. And like turns that into something with a budget that would make James Cameron happy. So I don't think I'm going to love all of the jokes. I think there's going to be a lot of jokes that are just sort of groaners. But with Leech and the ridiculousness of the premise, 
and a pretty fun and improved second cast. I'll say a 4.0. I'm going to be a little optimistic. It'll, it, wow. I yeah, it won't be uh, it won't be book club because um, I saw I saw book club last night and it's actually not it's actually pretty good. So it's did not going to love it. I did not love it. No, uh, but I would see a sequel. <laughs> I think next time I just release the two of them together. Just have a shared universe book club Deadpool two movie. I would watch the crap out of that. But yeah, I'll say a four point on, on that topic, real quick, um, and probably might maybe save a deeper conversation for the second half here. But do you think that there's um, any way that uh, now that obviously Marvel's bringing all their families together and all that kind of stuff, do you think Deadpool has any kind of role in the existing MCU? Like, like could he? And, and for me, that the the difficulty is his uh, penchant for breaking the fourth wall because that wouldn't work in the in the MCU. And so if you were to drop him into an existing movie, which I don't know if they plan on doing or they want to do at some point, once they start combining more and more of their characters, like, do you see that working or do you see that being like problematic in any way? You know, I, to me, it's not even so much um, the fourth wall breaking as it is sort of how carefully constructed the stakes are for the MCU. So the fact that the fact that the violence is always of a sort in that universe, where like, Things happen, but bad things don't happen to people. You know, like a lot of landscapes and monsters are destroyed. The fact that the Deadpool is basically a mercenary for hire and a mass murderer, you know, those things that work very well for the character make him funny. I, I would have a hard time reconciling the two tones for that. It's also, it is also tough because it, it, he is billed as only really existing in opposition to the established norm, which is the MCU. You know, if you have someone that's defined by what he isn't, bringing him into what he isn't doesn't really make it work at all. And I kind of, I think back a little bit too, there was a piece that I, I recently reread um, by Angie Han, who's been on the podcast a couple of times. And she, she wrote it last year about how it was the uh, X-Men universe that 20th Century Fox has been running. Those standalone films that are standalone X-Men stories, stuff like the first Deadpool, stuff like the last Wolverine movie, Logan, stuff like uh, Legion on FX that are sort of putting out some of the more interesting, you know, stories and storytelling in comic book movies as a whole. So that's all a complicated way of saying, like, I don't think that Deadpool could make the jump to the MCU without losing what makes him unique. It isn't to say they couldn't try. My best case scenario actually would be probably, you know, having him show up for at the beginning of a movie for a big battle, he gets shot in the head spends the whole movie regenerating and pops up like right before the final credits ready to go. Like that's the most you could bring those two universes together right, in a way that right. works. But yeah, I don't know. Would you, would you want, would you even want to see that? Um, no, I know I'm not a huge one for wanting everybody to cross over. I'm, I'm okay with there being different strands of all this. I mean, I, I just, um, I was trying to think about that because I know that that's, I mean, being that it's a, a ultimately a big Disney owned conglomerate and they're trying, and I don't know if they've succeeded yet. And, you know, I guess they're, they are kind of producing, actually I should ask that. I don't even know if they're producing, if, if it's, this is a Marvel studios co-production or not. This is just 20th century Fox. Yeah. So that there are the, I mean, I am mainly like the Spider-Man one was still Sony, but then they did the co-production. Yeah. I am no, I'm no expert at how it works, but the, the mutants are still owned by Fox. The X-Men characters in the franchise as a whole are still owned by Fox, which creates those weird scenarios where you have, you know, in the X-Men movies, you have a, um, Scarlet witch. And then you also have, um, the, 
version of that character that exists in the Avengers right. films as well. So they, they have, but you, know, you know, darn well that Disney would love to get their hands on them if they could. So yeah, they would, they would right. be fine having all of them if they could. Um, but yeah, I think, I think if 20th century Fox, if their rights are ever bought out and I, isn't that rumored? There's a, there's a chance that yeah, could happen. Talked about for a while. Now. Yeah. If that does happen, I don't think that Deadpool would exist in, in quite the same way. Um, which, you know, Maybe that maybe the pendulum would just swing back. Maybe he'd go back to being a $15, $20 million movie character. Mm. All right. Thanks for bringing me down. Sorry, buddy. All right. Well, now go watch Deadpool 2 and enjoy yourself. <laughs> and we'll, uh, we'll reconvene when it's all said and done. Well, hey there, and welcome back to part two of Deadpool 2. Uh, before we get into the discussion of the actual movie, I do want to say that this is very spoiler-filled. Now, Deadpool's been out for about a week and change, so there's no excuse for you to be listening to this and you haven't seen it. I'd like to meet you if you wait a week, listen to a podcast about a movie, and then go see the movie itself. That's that's a special dedication to the, you know, the film critic circle. But we're going to talk about anything and everything. We're going to talk about secret special endings. We're going to talk about character cameos and all that jazz. So walk away right now. Those of you that have seen it and are sticking around, Rob, let's just get into it. What are your big impressions? What's the top of the mind stuff uh, when you think about Deadpool 2? Ooh. Um, well, I'm a man of my word. So right off the bat, I'm going to go up front and say that I'm giving it an F, and we all know why. If you're listening to the first half of the show, uh, because they killed off the lovely, lovely girlfriend, Vanessa. Yeah, good place to start. So the whole fridging thing, uh, there was a lot of conversation after the movie came out. There was that interview, I don't remember, I think it might have been in Variety Fair or something like that, where the filmmakers, the screenwriters, um, admitted that they had never heard the word fridging before and were unfamiliar with the concept. And for those of you... In their, in their defense, too, I had never heard it before. I, I was very familiar with the idea and the trope, mm-hmm. but I had never heard that terminology before. So it, it, if you haven't heard or if you're not familiar with the word fridging, the fridging comes from the comic book world, which has dealt with the death of female characters as development for male characters for quite some time now. And fridging itself is specifically referencing a 90s run of uh, Green Lantern where a the person who had taken on the mantle of Green Lantern, his girlfriend was killed and stuffed in a fridge in order to make him sad and feel stuff. So fridging is a literal thing. It is not an interpretive thing. But what it does mean, and what it means more importantly for Deadpool 2, is taking a female character and putting them on ice, you know, literally or metaphorically, to create some sort of plot development character or story element for... Right, like a motivation or a drama or some kind of like... clutch situation for the hero the male hero and we had a lot of discussion about it when it came out um you know how people felt about that so rob go to town on that why is fridging bad um well it's lazy number one which which i know isn't like a an issue to deal with you know regarding political correctness or anything like that or proper treatment of different characters it just is lazy writing period to take someone that uh, a character let alone who the audience also cares for um, dispose of them strictly so that we can then give the uh, the main character, who again, traditionally, pretty much all the time, is always always this male hero, um, kind of a kick in the ass to go about doing whatever it is they need to do. Whether it be like you know, whether a simple revenge tale. I mean, this is also like the premise of like like you know Charles Bronson movies, Chuck Norris movies. I mean, it's it's a, it's a familiar to anybody who like any kind of medium, any kind of you know art medium, um, books, movies, whatever. Um, 
but it's, it's lazy. It's, it's, a, it's a lazy motivation. It gets them kind of up and going to get revenge or to grow up or to um, become a better person or to find, you know, uh, a new family or find family. Like maybe, maybe it does also like if there's like a child involved, you know, this, this hero now becomes a better dad or whatever it might be. Um, it's just a lazy way to get there. And uh, it's like I said, it's especially so when it's a character in this case, like Vanessa, who, who was in the first movie. I mean, we, we you know, everyone fell in love with her. Um, she's a great character. She's a fun character. And so it wasn't just kind of like a throwaway, you know, uh, female character who shows up and, and is only there just for this purpose. She had other purpose. And it was kind of one of the big pluses of the first movie that they had this, um, you know, crazy, believable, you know, loving, uh, playful, sexy relationship. You know, it wasn't the, the, t- the traditional uh, setup you find, whether it be in superhero movies or in re- even regular movies. It was something special and not, not quite unique, but you know what I'm saying? It felt something apart from from the norm. And so to then just go ahead and like in the first, you know, it's pre-credits of, of the second movie to go ahead and say, um, okay, we're just going to kill her off. You know, <laughs> it just is... Uh, it's 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 an abomination. <laughs> I absolutely hated it, and we'll get to that part later. But it, even though the movie itself deals with it um, in a way that okay, I'm okay with for this world, it still is is an absolutely lazy and uh, you know just unnecessary uh, path to go down for this for this script. Yeah, I have two problems with it. Um, one is as you mentioned, it is just lazy writing. You know, it kind of reminds me of television shows before the era of peak television where. Every season was basically the accomplishment of a single goal, whether it's a character, two characters get together or they, you know, a character achieves something or like somebody dies or whatever it is. And then that was since that was basically the only thing that the show had was this one element, one story element. They'd have to find reason to in the next season immediately, like remove that from the situation. So characters that had just gotten together would break up or fall apart or anything like that. You know, it's it's bad long form storytelling and it's bad storytelling period there are a lot of really good smart reasons to dislike it from the point of view of you know female characters in superhero movies and like male narratives and the male gaze and all that those are very legitimate and very good criticisms but you know even if you disagree with all of that which you shouldn't it's just bad and it doesn't work so there's that part of it which i didn't like and then there's a part of it too which is the fact that you know you have created a character in a universe that is supposed to exist entirely for the purpose of making fun of other superhero movies, for taking cliches and tired tropes and things that we've seen in the rest of the universe, and then, you know, having there be no sacred cows, ripping everything to shreds. And yet, the second time, the, the first time you get a chance to revisit these characters, the second time you offer us these characters, the first thing you do is the most generic, played out thing in the, uh-huh. in the book and you don't ever stop and acknowledge that there isn't a single moment in Deadpool 2 where they go like yeah we just did that but hang on there's a reason why the film just sort right. of that that was their big idea was to kill Vanessa and to move on from there and which is weird because they do often I mean every like to that point they do often like every, everything else that they kind of take um, present and then subvert I mean the entire you know the, the big gist of a lot of it is to, to then point it out and say and make fun of it and say yeah this is what we're doing we're messing things up around here and so yeah i I agree they they just kind of laid this out and then yeah we did that and moved on you know which i have that what you just described i have problems with uh, for other reasons we'll get into that but yes deadpool 2 is a film that that you know a lot of times tries to have its cake and eat it too with saying like oh here's something that's about to happen wink wink nudge nudge it's okay if it doesn't hit you the way that we want it to because we acknowledge that it might not and yet this thing was just like left there with absolute total sincerity 
and the least effective part of the film. Um, and, and the only commentary on it was in the because they, they kind of made it the theme of the opening credits. Um, which, you know. which, admittedly, those opening credits, you know, if 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 the it's not enough, but if the whole reason they killed Vanessa was to allow them to have <laughs> a like James Bond esque sad credit sequence. It's almost forgivable because those credits are, I think, the best part of the movie. They're great, and then and then obviously they had fun with the actual text of it too. You know, you know, directed by. Can you believe they killed off you know Vanessa? You know, all, so they, they play around with all that kind of stuff as well. Um, but but it's so it, it was them kind of acknowledging it, kind of making a joke out of it, and then dropping it, you know, for the entire length of the movie until the end credits. So it was. Um, and to get him, and in this case, it is a it is a, circ- a circumstance where they're you know it's an issue of family because you know they were about to get potentially you know engaged or they were, I guess they were engaged um, or, or they were talking about having a kid. Is that what it was? Yeah. Um, so it's like the you know the family idea was there, and then she gets ripped away, and so then the movie becomes oh now he's got to protect you know this this kid, and so it's it's sticking with this theme, but at no point is is her death necessary for anything that follows to have any kind of additional weight or um irrelevance you know it all could have continued as, as normal with her still alive you know maybe either hanging around or visiting an, you know in new jersey or whatever she wants to do um the death didn't need to be there to motivate any of what, what came after it even though it kind of played it like it was yeah and you mentioned kind of just a couple of throwaway lines in the credits about the vanessa death too and that gets to a second thing that that i alluded to a minute ago i want to talk about now which is sort of the way that the humor in the movie how it feels the second time around and how much mileage they get out of their self-referential sense of humor. Uh One of the things that supremely frustrated me about Deadpool 2 was the fact that they would continuously introduce something that was totally played out or generic or, you know, like expected or just boring. Then they would sort of nod to the audience and be like, you know, prime example the big fight at the end of the movie between colossus and juggernaut you know deadpool turns to the camera and says oh it looks like it's just going to be like a cgi battle and then they just have a totally boring cgi battle and it's like (laughs) guys you can't like it isn't enough for you to just say like oh this thing that we're about to do yeah it's terrible but let's just do it anyways and play it straight like the movie seems to think that it gets a lot of humor out of not showing us interesting things but like joking about the fact that it has uninteresting things, which is, I mean, it's a bold move, Cotton. Let's see how it plays. Um, well, here, here's where I'll, I'll end up splitting away from you. As much as I hate uh, what we just discussed with, with Vanessa, um, I do think that the, the number one appeal to the movie for me is the humor. I think I think the vast majority of the humor works. Now, that particular case with with the CGI fight, yeah, it's I mean, CG, CG fights are never exciting. They pointed out it happens. I mean, that's it's kind of a waste. Now, I, I would expect that there are um, comic book fans who enjoyed seeing it for, for you know to see these characters kind of go at it. For someone like myself who's not really into the comic books, it, it is I know who they are, but I don't really you know care on, on the on the on, you know in a grand scheme. I don't really care. So to me, it's just CG characters fighting. But the Rob, by the way, I gotta I gotta interrupt you. When you write when you write a book about blockbuster movies, can you please title it? I know who they are, but I don't really care. <laughs> I will do that for you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but but I think, like I said, but that's one of those cases. But I think the vast majority of the time, the humor works, whether it be referential, whether it be them pointing something out and then doing it, um, whether it be 
you know, when it does succeed in subverting the strobes, I mean, the whole, the whole, you know, uh, X-Force team assemble um, and heading out to the first mission. I think that entire sequence is, is just fantastic. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That is, that um, is perfectly yeah, set up and perfectly paid off. Right. So, I mean, I think, I think, and I think, and that's the best example I think in the movie, but I think that more often than not, those elements work. Um, the laughs land uh, for me. Second thing would be the action, but I mean, number one is definitely the humor. I think throughout it, it just really, really well done. The performances and the dialogue, I think for the most part are, are spot on. Um, just like the first movie, there's so much thrown at you as a viewer that uh, even though I'm sure I missed references and I'm sure like, you know, there, there were more than a few you know jokes that you know maybe didn't do much for me. Uh, again, the majority of them landed, you know, I was laughing, I was smiling, I was chuckling along. So I think that for me, I mean, that is, it, it is number one, a comedy and I think it succeeds. Well, let me ask you about the action since you bring it up. Um, I am of the opinion that the action in this film is actually not very good. I think that they're outside of the opening, let's say, you know, that 10 minute um, montage of Deadpool going around the world and that absolute uh-huh. world beater of a slow motion fight sequence, which uh-huh. is borderline worth price of admission in the movie in terms of all the action sequences. You know, most of the film is actually pretty generic stuff, like the breakout in the jail with Ryan Reynolds throwing down a little bit. You've got the later fight scene in the vehicle. You've got the juggernaut CGI battle and the big, you know, end death sequence that he goes through like i thought i was surprised at how unstylish unflashy and like unmemorable a lot of the action sequences in deadpool 2 were try and change my mind if you can um i mean i don't think i'm going to okay (laughs) um i i think i I think i'm a bit i'm a bit lighter and kinder to it than you are but i think that yeah i would have liked more from donovan leach i think or david leach sorry i think i think he could have done better but i think that the issue here um my my kind of take on it is that i think that his as a stuntman and we talked about this you know previously that as a a stunt performer as a stunt coordinator he's got a, a fantastic grasp and he's shown it already on the physical and on the practical and this being a superhero movie, um, particularly with like a lot of these types of different characters that are in there, so much of the of of the action and of the fight sequences here are not just CG assisted, but I mean, but you know, majority CG in, in one fashion or the other. Um, and so it's it's not. I don't think it gave him the opportunity to do a lot of because we because we, we know he can do phenomenal action beats. Um, so I don't think the issue is with him. I think it's maybe that he's he's not the right match necessarily for. Uh, you know, CG characters, because I agree. I think that it is, a lot of it is fairly generic. Um, I, I think that it lifts a little bit above because of the personalities in there. Like I enjoyed seeing, uh, you know, Domino, you know, get, get to her action beats. I enjoyed, I still enjoy seeing Deadpool, um, Cable. I mean, I enjoyed the performers and these characters. And so it, it's, the action became entertaining for me, but there's no sequence, there's not a single sequence in the movie, aside from what you mentioned, you know, the earlier bit, you know, international stuff where I kind of sat there and said, you know, that's a killer action beat. I mean, there's really nothing else in there. It, it doesn't disappoint me other than the fact that I would have expected better from from Leech. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things that sort of surprises me is when we talk about, and we talked about this a lot in part one, the idea of Deadpool 2 as being bigger, better budget, you know, a lot more cultural cachet. You know, it has a two-second cameo from Brad Pitt in the movie, so it has access to people that want to be... <laughs> part of this in a way they might not have wanted before. Um, it's sort of, it seems to me at least, and this isn't necessarily a knock, but it sort of seems to me that they really upgraded the cast and didn't didn't really do too much else. I mean, there's obviously more money in some of the fight sequences and things like that, but 
For better or for worse, it seems like Deadpool 2 is a lot of the same from Deadpool 1, from the action to the comedy bits to like the interactions between the characters, just you know, with the addition of, admittedly, Brolin and Beats doing some excellent, excellent work. So, I don't know, like... For, I, I don't disagree. For me... Yeah, I, I for me, that wasn't that wasn't necessarily enough, but um, I don't want to I don't want to weigh too negatively out of the gate. You know, we've kind of criticized the movie hard, and this is actually a movie I think I I, I liked um, more than I disliked. But I think that the I think again, I'll just speak for myself. I mean, the action to me was fine. Again, I don't walk away you know blown away by anything in it action wise. It was fine, um, uh, which I again should have been better than fine but it was fine but it the movie itself to me is still a, a great time because of these characters and because of the laughs that i get out of it um and, and so all of it combined becomes for me you know just a, a fantastic piece of entertainment um that yeah would have been a lot better if, if the you know if the action beats were actually uh impressive in, instead of just um the expected i guess but the movie still works uh tremendously because of the humor and these characters so let's talk about the um, the scene that you referenced earlier, which is one of the standouts in the movie, which is the prolonged assault sequence. Because and all the the lead up that's going to that. I mean, before before the movie was actually released, um, you know, before it came out in the theaters, there was a lot of buzz surrounding the character of Peter, who had already been introduced in trailers and stuff. And Rob Delaney's, you know, was was sort of like the the secret superhero character everybody was falling in love with beforehand. You know, you mentioned that's a good scene. Like, what what about it makes that work so well for you? I think the, uh, a couple of things. One, I mean, you, you start with the setup where they're kind of like, you know, auditioning or interviewing for, for members to join X-Force. And they pretty much take everybody who shows up. Um, and it's like kind of like an oddball crew. Um, and so, okay, fine. So there's your group. You know, you, you go out and you expect, okay, they're going to go out and have this um, interaction with, with the baddies. And uh, you know it'll be it'll be fun. It'll be a good time. See the different characters using the different powers. You know, go go from there. But what it does, I think, is that it takes that idea, that team up, you know, that that group thing, the montage, where everybody's coming together, and like you know, just big dramatic beat where they're all jumping out of the plane and parachuting into the action. Um, and it, that's where it succeeds with its biggest version, I think, because it, it just you know on a dime, all of a sudden, bam, 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 <laughs> every single one of them for the most part dies. And not in in combat or not in any kind of you know uh, in in a fight, but just through accidents, you know, landing into what I think one was like in a wood chip or something. One was like electrical lines. That was the Brad Pitt you know beat. Um, uh, the one the one just like gets gets smashed. I mean, this they all just kind of get knocked out in various ways. In the meantime, you know, Deadpool is is, is you know offering a commentary on it um, as he just sees his entire time wipe you know his entire team get wiped out, with the exception of course you know the, the lucky Domino. Um, and so I just think it does a really good job of delivering some great you know, visuals um, in the sense that, again, these characters are getting, kind of getting tossed about, getting slaughtered in, in entertaining ways. <laughs> you know, bad for them, but entertaining for the audience. Um, it's, it's super funny because it's unexpected and because, again, the, way, the ways they're being kind of knocked off and the, the commentary that we're hearing. Um, and it just it ends with them, this team, now kind of like minimized and in a position that was different than it was five minutes ago. And so I think it just succeeds in all fronts, and it it kind of presents an interesting way to approach this uh, something we have seen forever and m- many many times, which is this team you know come together, this team head out on their first mission, this team get you know involved in the in the first brawl. This one just kind of like cuts it off at the knees. Yeah, it reminds me uh, of 
two different movies actually came to mind when I saw it. One is the Jackie Chan vehicle, the tuxedo, where Jason Isaacs, who looks like everything that a James Bond uh-huh. character should be, is basically KO'd in the first you know 15 minutes of the movie, and the technology he uses to be who he is you know comes into the hands of this bumbling Jackie Chan character. Um, and then it also reminded me more than a little bit of Mystery Men and the whole sequence where they go to save Greg Kinnear's like Superman on steroids only to have him die horribly <laughs> at their own hands. You know, like I, it is it is a gag that you don't see often enough because it usually takes a bit of a buildup and some recognizable names. You cannot pull this off with just random people off the street. You have to have actors like Terry Crews. You have to have recognizable <clears throat> faces who you're willing to immediately punt on. Um but God, it's just it's it's just a bit that that when done correctly is never old to see like a movie put so much effort into doing something and then immediately wipe the table clean and be like, well, that didn't work. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that it's it's a great example of that idea, and I think that it executes it flawlessly. Um, it deserves to be the, you know that the most talked about sequence out of the film. Um, and it's it is I mean because these are these are faces that you recognize faces you're thinking okay well he's an interesting character I don't I mean I don't I, I don't know if any of them uh, I, I can't imagine any of them were actual characters from the comics but I, I don't I honestly don't know um, but to just you know introduce them and then almost immediately dismiss them in a bloody graphic ways um, and then just you know be forced to move forward from there it just it's done so well and it's it's definitely a high point in the film. Um, you know, and then the plot continues, and then you go from there. But it's it's a it's a sequence that just is, is aces. So let's talk a bit about the new additions to the cast too, because we had sort of the biggest three names here are Josh Brolin, Satsi Beats, and Julian Dennison, or everybody knows the guy from Hunt for the Wilder People. Um, that's sort of the main thrust of the movie is Deadpool's relationship with each of these characters. And, you know, I would say that that's probably where most of the power in the film comes from is the dynamics and and the way that they not only play off of the character, but also sort of the way they play off Ryan Reynolds as an actor, too. So who who among the three of those, you know, who's the winner? And I don't think there's a loser, but like, what did you think of these three characters and what they had to add? Um, I mean, I think I think Domino and Cable are are the the standouts. Uh, both because of the characters, but also because of their performers behind them. Um, I loved, I love Dennis and I think he's great, but I think that as that character is a little more than like a looper riff and it it just kind of, uh, that's probably the most obvious beat in in the film, I think is, is one, the reveal, the looper reveal, but two, you know, that he's going to be this kid who's then going to, you know, have to turn around and Deadpool is going to win him over somehow. I mean, they, they dragged it out as long as they possibly could to reach that point, but it's, I think that was inevitable. The other two, um, to me are far more interesting. I, I don't, again, not being a comic guy, I'm not familiar with these characters, but, uh, Brolin's backstory is, is gives it a little bit more weight and he is just a tremendous, uh, performer. We talked about it earlier where he, he can play, you know, bad guys, but they're not generic. They're kind of, um, gruff, uh, characters with depth who, who can be assholes, um, who can be wrong, who can be, uh, dislikable, but, or, you know, you don't, you don't like them, but, but they're also at the same time, you do kind of like them. And I think that he carries this, he carries that through here, you know, even before, uh, Cable switches sides and kind of joins the team. Um, but obviously Domino and, and Zazie Beats is, is the, the standout, <laughs> the, the, the charisma, the smile, it just is, the character is fun. Um, but she just makes it just like just effortless, effortless, and just uh, I don't know, just, just super entertaining and just so casual. Like it's just so nonchalant. But she just is, 
uh, just incredibly charismatic that you just you're kind of like you, I wouldn't mind if you know if she became you know a character who gets her own spinoff. I mean, I don't know where they would go with it because it's it's an oddball character being lucky. Um, something that Deadpool even comments on, but it's uh, it, it just works. I mean, it just is like I said, it's just casual fun. You know, if you had to choose, or if you had to like sort of project into these characters, could they? With the three of these sort of anchoring the whole thing, do you think they can support another film? Do you think that the that Brolin, Beats, and Reynolds have enough juice in these characters to do an X Force oh, movie? Oh, I think so because I think what'll happen is, I mean, I know that as of right now, there's like tentative X Force and tentative Deadpool three, um, but I think as an X Force movie, I think the three of them together, they they kind of offer an interesting mix because again, you you've got the you know the the flat out just broad humor of Deadpool. You've got kind of like the, the gruff father figure who is you know tough, but also not quite in on the joke um, of of Brolin. And then of course you know Domino's character again is just like this this sex appeal, but there's also just uh, a lightness to it that the other characters don't have. And so I think together they all kind of like form an interesting team, and they can definitely carry on because I imagine that in in the X Force movie that we'll eventually get. Um, they'll bring in other other characters as well who will then you know probably be killed off quickly but but these three as a core I think they all complement each other now before we kind of move into the home stretch here I do want to ask you about this because this is something that um, you just brought up and is always worth talking about how did you feel about the time travel elements in the movie because time travel is you know unless you are talking about the most esoteric of like time crimes and that kind of stuff it's always a mess especially in big budget movies it's always a mess so kind of factoring in the end credits too, where they sort of do a hard reboot on their own universe. Like, is that a good thing to introduce to this character, to these characters, to these movies? Or is it, you know, just more of an opportunity for people to like fuck up long-term? My, my guess is that we won't see it happen in the next movie. I, f- I feel like it was introduced in order to get these characters and get the story going, going. And then they also realized that, Hey, we can use this, to just, you know, continue our subversive streak, you know, in our end credits and, and just kind of like, you know, fucking reverse whatever you want to reverse, which they do. They, you know, they basically say he saves Vanessa. Um, he saves, uh, what he saves Peter. Um, I mean, it's the elements that, that would have really mostly anno- most annoyed you as a viewer, <laughs> which are those two deaths probably, um, as far as character, character demises go are completely reversed. So they're both fine now. And so it's, it works as a joke. It works because it's, it's funny. It works as kind of like a breath of fresh air. Because like, okay, you know, we we were upset that they were dead, but now they're back. Cool. You know, end credits. Um, but I don't see them carrying that on to the next movie because I don't think that they need to. I think it was kind of a uh, a one and done situation to get the story going and to have fun with the end credits. I don't think that they're going to carry that forward. Because um, in general, no, I don't like it. Uh, to your point, I, I think that it's one of many comparisons actually to the, the new Avengers movie, Infinity War, um, when you introduce this element that. Uh, you know, time basically is no longer a a restraint. Then it, it's now I realize also these are comic book movies, and so there's no really weight to a lot of these things, anyways. But when you introduce this element, it, it kind of lifts things. It makes them even even lighter and even less um, uh, permanent, obviously. And so you knew something was going to happen with it here. Um, I did not expect what happened with it in the end credits, <laughs> but. Uh, it is something that is not something that I want to see kind of like as a constant in the series. So hopefully they do just drop it and don't even touch it again in the next movie. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's you know not the fault of somebody like James Cameron, but you do watch a promising franchise like the Terminator franchise just get bogged down in its own 
messy mythology and like doubled on timelines and stuff. And that's, yep. that's playing it straight. That's trying, that's with like a room of writers who are basically trying to parse that shit out and make it work. And you know, the, the, there, it seems to me that for Deadpool, if that becomes an integral part of the franchise going forward, which I believe the filmmakers have said it won't, but if it was okay, like, that would, you know, you, it's the, the panic button for everything. Like there's, there's no way to go other than just making that ridiculously messy, which would be, a really funny idea if you know the movie kept more of the tone of that final credit sequence but you know again i kind of boil back to the like if you're going to play with something like time travel but you're going to be as sort of surprisingly self-serious as a lot of deadpool 2 was that seems like a bad match i think that the um i i, I did hear some people um griping about the saying that the emotional beats and like the the more serious moments were, were maybe they were trying too hard or they were a bit too heavy-handed um a bit too forced compared to what you know the, the first movie accomplished and i don't necessarily agree with that i think that with the exception of what i was saying earlier about um uh, dennison's character I, I think that his his arc was pretty clear-cut and so the, those the emotional beats that are in there don't really work for me as well because you know, one that they were clear with that they were coming, uh, but two, as much as I love Dennison, I mean, he, he's not um, the most uh, emotionally competent actor. Is that a good way to put that? Um, That's fine by me. Yeah, he's young. He's young and he's inexperienced, so yeah, he's, he's only he's going fine, to get better. I've got no problem with him, but but the heavier moments didn't really didn't really land with him. Um, what does work, though, is I think that uh, it, it, and it's a simple story. It's something that's been done, you know, a, a thousand times. But this idea of of forming a family, um, I think, works. And I think that I mean, his belaboring his whole death scene, Deadpool's death scene, too, as, as long as they did, um, was entertaining as well because it, it actually worked. It to it provided laughs, but it, it gave time for the seriousness to set in. You knew he wasn't obviously going to die. I and mean, that was ne- never even on the table. Um, but it gave time for these various beats, you know, and to kind of recognize the losses that, you know, ha- have occurred here. Um, so it kind of worked for me. I mean, I don't feel that it was overdone. I feel that it was um, done well and done just enough with the exception again of, of Dennison's character. All right. Well, before we give it our final score, Rob, um, you've had half an hour now to prepare for this question. Uh, if you were going to recommend Deadpool 2 to somebody, if you wanted to pair a film for them or something you think they should seek out after seeing this movie, what's a, what's another movie you would like to see you know, double screen alongside Deadpool 2? 1998's Zero Effect. Oh, oh, talk more. I love that movie so much. Uh, Jake Hasden uh, wrote and directed it. It stars Bill Pullman and Ben Stiller. Pullman is the title character, Daryl Zero, the world's greatest detective. Um, and Stiller is his, his assistant, his sidekick, who is um, like a Stiller character. He's kind of like a, a bit, you know, always on edge over things. Um, but the comparison for me is that the hero, the main character, the title character of this movie is both incredibly talented um, and accomplished, but also um, his, his own worst enemy when it comes to actually accomplishing his goals. He sets out to do the, the goals he gives himself, the goals, you know, the, the missions or assignments he, ta- he takes on as a detective. And so I think for me, there's some similarities there in that he's a character who um, maybe doesn't take himself as, as seriously, you know, as like a straight job. It's, it's a comedy. If I didn't mention that already, it's a comedy. Um, and so it's, there's serious things happening, but they're all viewed through the lens of, of a comedy and also through this lead character who is just, um, living his own absurd life, you know, with everything else going on around him. 
and it's got a great supporting cast as well. I mean, you got Ryan O'Neill on there. Kim Dickens is great. Um, again, Ben Stiller. So and it's just a funny movie. Um, and if you haven't seen it, if people haven't seen it, they should definitely seek it out, whether it be as a double feature or not. Yeah, it is hands down, at least for my money, the finest Sherlock Holmes adapt- adaptation, or at least like inspired by. And I will never understand why when the Kasdans get together to write Star Wars movies, they don't invite Jake because he's clearly, clearly the most talented writer of the bunch based <laughs> only on that movie. So Kasdans, I call you out. Uh, all right, for myself, I'm going to pick um, also something of the Arab, maybe something a little interesting. I'm going to throw out Mystery Science 33,000, the movie. And the reason, the reason I'm saying that is because at sort of its best and its worst, a lot of Deadpool reminded me of a movie that was sort of not, you know, not rising above the genre, but a, with a degree of cultural commentary and self-awareness um, constantly running from Ryan Reynolds' mouth that makes the whole thing a little bit more interesting than it would be. So essentially, I think that Deadpool 2 sort of feels like the first movie to MST3K itself as it's going along. And, you know, I don't know if that makes it a great movie, but I think it makes it more entertaining often than not. And it makes me want to go seek out, you know, Michael J. Nelson and Tom Servo and Crow and all those other friends who make bad movies better through their commentary. So MST3K, the movie, that's my recommendation for that. <laughs> I have never been into the uh, Miss Giants Theater crowd. And, and the main reason, it's similar to the, uh, what's the other one that travels around the country and does shows? I forget what it is. But anyways... Cinematic that, that Titanic. Whole, There's a couple of them now. Yeah, uh, Rift tracks. That, that, yeah, there you go. That entire concept to me is, um, it just doesn't work for me. I, I understand people get out of it, um, and I don't mind poking fun at movies. So it's not that's not the issue. I just if I'm watching the movie, I want to watch the movie and laugh along with it. Having someone else crack wise, um, especially when I, I don't always kind of find it funny. It, it, it doesn't it kind of like defeats the purpose and, and me, leaves me not liking you know either half of it the movie itself or <laughs> or the commentary oh gosh it's, to, it's almost like you're highlighting some of the problems i had with deadpool <laughs> hmm. i went to a, a screening once of a movie that was uh use an use an app and everybody in the audience on their phone would text to the to, uh, via this app and then it would appear on the screen the text would and so it was I did that with some friends, which is why I did it, and, and I was drinking. But um, but the it was the same premise, and people in general aren't funny. So the the advantage to the mystery science theater is that these guys are professionals, and so yeah, they, they get a lot of good good jokes in. But I would rather just watch the movie and make my own fun. Rob, when you write your book about mainstream comedies, I would like it to be titled <laughs> "People in General Aren't Funny." Are you writing these down? These are important. Noted. All right. Final score time. Scale of one to five. Half stars more than welcome. It is the Rob Hunter scale after all. What do you give Deadpool 2? 3.5. You know what's funny? I'm going to say the same thing. I know I, I know I sounded like way more critical in our conversation um, than it was. You did. But, you know, that's basically because what the movie does wrong does really wrong for me. But for the most part, it's funny and no, the characters I'm, are endearing. I'm, I'm going to say that you came into this conversation with a hard 2.5 and through our conversation it elevated a full point and you can't really change my mind on that. If you need a win tonight Rob, let me be that win but that's not that's not really how the math shook out but I'm okay with it. But yeah, I mean it is it is it is what it is which is not a great way of describing a movie for a professional film critic um, it is what it is. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's like it is. there are moments of real genius. There are a million and one jokes. The clearance rate is, for my money, considerably lower than the first time around. But the sheer but volume. But still higher than a lot of studio comedies, yeah, I think. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, it so, is. And, and I, I it think is a. If the comedy wasn't there. I think you'd, you'd have a problem with this movie, and I would too. It bears more in common with like the Zucker type films, your police academies of the world. Um, sorry, not police academies, your naked guns of the world, where, you know, everything is happening so fast and there's tons of gags and characters. It just has a little bit too much improv t- type humor for my tastes. I wish they'd done more visually to make it funny and interesting, but. 3.5 is fine, although I don't think that's going to hold up. I think I'm going to rewatch it in a year or so and probably knock it down a little bit. Probably get down to that 2.5, so maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it was entirely your conversation, Rob. Excellent. I'll take it. All right, Rob, if people want to talk to you about your movies, about you know the things that you love, the, people, the things maybe that you don't like, Deadpool and specifically, hopefully the zero effect, what is a great way to get a hold of you on social media? Uh, well, I'm not on the Facebook, so you're gonna have to go to Twitter, fake Rob Hunter at twitter.com. I don't know how that works. Um, and then also, I'm over at Film School Rejects, you can reach me there. Cool. As for myself, you can find me on Twitter at Labsplice, that's L A B S P L I C E. Uh, I actually had someone ask me what that meant the other day, which was kind of cool. It's the first time that I've had No, no, no. Every single time we have this conversation, I think I should ask him what it means because I don't know either, but I resist it and I want to maintain that. Okay, I won't tell you then. Um, if you want to follow the show, you can follow it uh, at One Perfect Pod. You can also follow the Mothership at One Perfect Shot. Tell us that we have posted articles too frequently and that our shot selection is bad. We love it when you do that. Um, and yeah, if you like what you've listened to, please no subscribe. No film school rejects. Yeah, except one of us here is not a film school reject. So shut your mouth, listener. Um, and yeah, if you like the podcast, leave a review, subscribe, let us know what you're thinking, uh, email the boss, and tell him that we're great and that he should give us raises. That's about all I have today. That's pretty much all I have then as well. All right. Rob, thank you so much for joining me and talking about Deadpool 2. We'll have you back on probably before you know it. Ooh.